Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show broadcasting live uh, across the state of Alaska and uh, around the world. Hey, good morning and welcome to it. We are getting ready to do our thing here this morning, the Tuesday edition of the big radio show. And we had such a good time last week uh, getting a little bit uh, getting a little bit uh, uh, ahead of ourselves and getting a l- little bit more time that we decided to do it uh, yet again. This morning, we're jumping into it with Brad Keithley uh, from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And we're going to talk about the weekly top three. And we've got a full boat here today, plus a bonus, bonus segment, bonus segment running into uh, hour two, which should be fun. Just a little bit of slice of life. And uh, we'll see how things uh, are going with it. Let's uh, first and foremost, though, we're going to shed everything else, jump all things aside and jump right into our discussion with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Good morning, Bradley. How are you, my friend? Michael, I'm doing great today. Did you uh, did you DJ in an earlier life? Did I DJ in an earlier life? I may have. Why? Why do you ask? Why? why do well, you... your 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 music selection uh, before the show starts. Oh, uh, I was I was really rocking out to it. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you that just thanks to thanks to Spotify. That's all I could say. <laughs> it was just thanks to Spotify. <laughs> Uh, my morning playlist here, thanks to Spotify, getting things rolling. So, well, you se- you selected the playlist at least. So, yeah, but it's a Ex- it, it was a good one. Oh, good. Well, I appreciate that. Well, uh, Brad, we're ready to dive into it this morning and get things ready to rock and roll. We had several comments last week about how it was nicer to have a little bit more time to discuss. Sometimes we feel like we're mashing those last two together, you know, so fast. So, we thought we'd get into it. The weekly top three. I have three segments, so let's just break it into three, and we'll start off right here. So today, we're going to start off with uh, Bert Stedman and his red herring. He just has, uh, he's, he's, he keeps getting quoted by everybody. All the news media just wants to go to him and, and see what the walrus has to say. So what do, you, what do you say here this morning for us? What's going on? I am the, I am the walrus. Is that the... Cuckoo, cuckoo. Um, yeah, exactly. A- a- actually, as I thought about it this morning, it's actually a bootstrapped red herring. Okay. Uh, that uh, that that he's been pushing. There's an article in Alaska Public Media that comes out of the Sitka uh, Public Media radio station. Um, the headline of it is "Stedman warns against overdrawing Alaska permanent fund to pay dividends," and um, and and basically it's an interview yeah. with Bert where he goes off on we can't pay dividends because it would overdraw the permanent fund earnings. And, you know we can't do that, and I'm going to stand against that. Stand in the doorway. And uh, and and protect that from uh, from protecting that from ever ha- ever happening. Well, 
what he's what he's arguing about is he's arguing two things in there, but but one of them is that uh, the permanent fund earnings reserve is in danger of being drained, um, and so we have to cut PFDs because we don't. In part, we have to cut PFDs because we don't want to overdraw the the permanent fund earnings reserve, and. It, and that's the bootstrap part because the permanent fund earnings reserve, as we've talked about on previous shows, the permanent fund earnings reserve is in trouble because Bert has overdrawn it uh, the past uh, few years to put to stuff more money into uh, the permanent fund corpus. Wait, so you're saying this is a crisis of his own making? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I made the crisis and now I'm going to. Yeah, I mean, this is there's some real sleight of hand stuff going on here. Oh, it's, 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 I mean, and he does this all, you know, with a straight face and, oh, it's just, you know, fact. I, how can anybody argue with that? But, but he's, but he's, you know, he's, he's bootstrapped himself into this, as you say, into this crisis uh, over the permanent fund earnings. And so all of a sudden now we have to cut PFDs. It's like, he's, you know, making up like Johnny Appleseed of, of no PFD stories, right? He's just sprinkling these, these seedlings out, out there. And then he's just going to harvest them as they, as they come to fruition. So, so that's, that's part of it. He's bootstrapped himself into this argument. And then it's a red herring, um, uh, for two reasons. One is, uh, the, the, the most important is it's not the permanent fund dividend that's causing the overdraw. The permanent fund dividend is set by statute. And if the legislature would just recognize the statute, just appreciate the fact they can't, they don't have the votes to change the statute. And so they ought to be they ought to be, you know, observing it, paying attention to it. Um, it, it. The permanent fund dividend is funded, period. End of statement, end of discussion. It is other spending that is causing the overdraw. Uh, if, if there is an overdraw, it's, it's the other spending that's causing an overdraw uh, of the permanent fund earnings because there's not enough traditional revenues. They don't have the other spending doesn't, or the spending rather, doesn't have enough revenues to support it. Um, and so and so if there is a if there is a, a reason for an overdraw, it's not the permanent fund dividend that's doing it. It's the other spending that's doing it. And finally, you know, the 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 red the the other the third red herring, we got the bootstrapped red herring, the first red herring, and the third red herring. The third red herring that's going on is that is that there's no need for an overdraw in the first place we're short revenues and if we're going to have and, and if we have an additional need for revenues cutting the pfd which is what bert's proposing and how he's boot and why he's bootstrapped himself into this position cutting the pfd has the as we've said on the show hundreds of times no doubt by now has the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy and on 80% of Alaska families. And so if there if there is a reason for additional revenues, there are other ways to raise those revenues that have a lower impact on the economy and have a lower impact on Alaska families. And to, and to, and to focus on the PFD as he does is a red herring, uh, a top 20%, uh, oil company red herring of saying, "Oh yeah, don't come after me." Even though, even though it's better to raise revenues for me, don't come after me. Go after those guys over, you know, behind the tree. The old, uh, right? The old Russell Long uh, admonition of "Don't tax me, don't tax you, don't tax me, tax that guy behind the tree." 
Right. And and that and that's Bert's, you know, third red herring. Don't tax me. Don't tax. I mean, it's bad to tax me. It's bad to tax you. Tax those guys behind the tree. So that's it, it's just it's just a string of red herrings uh, delivered, you know, with this low monotone voice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the voice of authority. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's just I mean, it's it's it's. Once you understand the game, once you understand what's really going on with these PFD cuts, it just sort of gets humorous after a while. But but with the 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 added thing that just really you know got me laughing as I read through it was the bootstrap of it. You know, I cause this crisis. <laughs> we have a crisis, and now you know, let's do what I let's do my favorite thing. Let's go cut PFDs. Well, and what was interesting to me is there's actually even another one in there. Because oh my he, God, I missed one. He, he well, he talks specifically about um, fully funding inflation proofing. We could skip inflation proofing for a year or two. We could reduce it. We could do, but inflation proofing. Remember, one of the big selling points of the POMV formula was that the inflation proofing was automatic. It wasn't because usually we used to have to put money in specifically for inflation proofing. One of the big selling points of SB 26 was that the inflation proofing was automatic. Well, now they're adding even more money back into the corpus of the permanent fund while they're still doing inflation, even though they don't need to really do it because it's baked into the formula. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, he's uh, he he's he's got them lined up. He's got all the all the bootstraps lined up. Um so it's it's I mean the 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 interview is the problem is people take this stuff seriously right the problem is people say oh my god we got a crisis with the permanent fund earnings Bert you caused it no 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 we got a crisis with the permanent fund earnings yeah um, and and people believe that now you know it's like you know run it run into the other side of the boat we got a crisis over there and then it's and then it's oh we yeah, have the PFD that's the problem this is the old Natasha line it's the PFD that's the problem. You entitled people, you're the ones that are that are that are the problem. Uh no, it's not PFD's fine. It's the other, it's the other spending that's the problem. And we gotta cut the PFD. It's just it's one thing after another. And you know, the press interview, the 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 interview with Bert is just Bert. Yeah. I mean, there's no counter, there's no, no it's let's a puff, go get let's it's a puff piece. I mean, essentially, it's like here, here's a free microphone, do whatever you want to do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's running for re-election uh, uh, this time or not. I haven't looked at whether his seat is one of the ones that's up. But it's, I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, let's go. You, you, you know, a, a journal journalism one hundred and one is let's get both sides. Let's let's balance. Let's do a balanced presentation. Let's do. Let's not let one side have the microphone or have the have the pen and and deny it the other side. That's what the op-ed page is for, right? Right. Uh, let somebody let somebody submit to the op-ed page. Journalism 101 is let's have a let's have a balance. This is just, you know, well, this is just let Bert go. Well, and, and all these red herrings and all the bootstrapping basically is all leading to one thing. Bert is pushing this idea that uh, we need a constitutional amendment to prevent the overdraw of the fund. Again, locking all that money in there. He's got there's an agenda here. His agenda is to push for this this new um, you know, he may call it even a spending cap, but it's <clears throat> basically a withdrawal cap from the permanent fund, uh, uh, I guess, the, the corpus of the fund, the earnings reserve, so that they can again control and again keep that crisis point hot by controlling and constricting that money. Yeah, I mean, he's he's trying to remake um, 
this 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 fight goes all the way back, right? I mean, it's a fight that that the legislature had in the in the 1980s uh, over the permanent fund dividends. A fight they even had in the 1970s over the permanent fund itself, when there was the battle about people who wanted to keep the oil revenues, the excess oil revenues, and, you know, build skyscrapers all over the place, and you know, uh, fill out fill out the infrastructure by by spending all the money. Um, after they drained the Perdove bonus that they got in, 19, in 1973. This fight goes all the way back. And Burt's just the latest iteration of the anti-Hammond forces, the forces of that, that want to spend and want to, you know, control the spending, want to funnel all the spending through the, you know, 21 plus 11 plus one, the, the, the through 33 people, through, through 30, 30, uh, 33 people. Um, and wants to funnel all the money through the legislature as opposed to the Hammond forces who wanted to distribute the money out, let Alaskans have a share, a share right. of the of the state's wealth, uh, and and use a portion of the state's wealth in the way that that they thought the six hundred and twenty five thousand now uh, residents thought was the was the right way to go uh, with using that money. Bert's, you know, Bert's the old peacock. Uh, uh, the old uh, uh, Hickel, uh, the old uh, 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 forces that uh, that wanted to keep uh, keep the money in government's hands and let government control. Just the latest iteration. But now he's in a position, you know, people, you, you know, you talk about changing out the players, and that's that's certainly important. You want to get to twenty one eleven and and one that 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 supports your position. But Bert, as chairman of Senate Finance, is probably the key position that that has caused that's causing all this along the way. I mean, he's the one that's created, that's bootstrapped us into the into the crisis over the permanent funds earnings reserve. He's the one that's driven using PFD cuts, you know, taxing the PFD as opposed to as opposed to a broad based tax, which would reduce the impact on the Alaska economy, or reduce the impact on Alaska family. He's the one who's really you know, created this. So it's, it, if you want to, you know, what, what's, what's maybe mo- more important, as important as changing the, the legislators is, is, is changing that caucus vote inside the Senate uh, for who's Senate finance chair uh, and, and getting that under control of the Hammond forces, as opposed to the, as opposed to the, the historic anti-Hammond forces that right. central right. control of the money. Well, changing the players is a great idea, and we've done a good job of it across the state. Unfortunately, there's a handful of players that are in positions of power. They have the, uh, you know, they have the historic knowledge, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, to uh, as to how to play the game. They know how to, you know, what they need to go for. They need what positions. They know what positions they need, and they continue to get back into those leadership positions. And so they're basically running the show, even though we've got a bunch of brand new people in there. They're basically running the show with this institutional knowledge that they have. And, uh, you know, it just it means that we need to find a way to counter them at their district level and offer some other option. And that's just as of right now, it's just it's not happening. You know, whether it's the Gary Stevens or the Click Bishops or the Burt Stedmans uh, and now the renewed Kathy Geisel. I mean, those are the folks that are all the more big government type, you know, government spend type Republicans. Um, and that those are the ones that are kind of holding up everything else. But that those finance positions especially are the key to this whole thing. 
They they are they are Michael. And we thought you know we thought we'd we'd had some of that by electing Dunleavy governor, right? I mean, Alaska reputedly throughout the nation is has the one of the strongest forms of governor has the line item veto that requires three quarters of the legislature to overturn him, um, and 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 not just one body, both bodies. Uh, in the legislature to overturn him, uh, and and you know you thought you had a, a strong governor, but you know, it turns out we don't have that either. So yes, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that's number one. The red herring from Bert Stedman. We'll post the link in the chat room if you want to read it. Meanwhile, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Number two continues of the weekly top three. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on. Some of the other folks out there who are in Fairbanks, etc. Uh, like Joe Pascavan, uh, who are putting some problematic stuff out there in the world. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. The Michael Luke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more Brad Keithley right after this. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Brad Keithley, our guest, <clears throat> continuing now uh, here uh, in the commercial break, uh, talking with Brad about all this stuff. You know, it, again, the Brad, it, Brad, the thing is, you look, it's like he looks into the camera and says, "I'm just shocked." Shocked, I tell you, that we don't have enough money in the permanent fund earnings reserve. And I mean, I know we put maybe a bit. And I love how he's so casual about it. He's like, mm, I think we put like over a little over a billion dollars back in, you know, something like like he doesn't know down to the dollar what's going on here. This is a guy that's directing all the traffic, but he's so casual, like, well, I think we put a few hundred million, maybe a billion dollars. You know you you're the architect of this whole thing, and he's acting like, well, no, I don't have the exact details, but it, I mean, it's it's so disingenuous at this point. It's a it's a crisis of your own making at this point. Yeah, when he talks about when he talks about inflation proofing, it it is it is humorous, you know, talking about oh, we put we we could go a couple of years. You prepaid, Bert. You prepaid inflation proofing. You put four billion in one year. You put four billion in another year, and those were those were to prepay inflation proofing. Of course, you can go. Yeah, you know, several years now uh, without contributing to inflation proofing. But you know, I I may I may. I may let inflation proofing go a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, and, and the, and the problem is, is that most people don't understand the vagaries oh, and the details of how all this stuff works. And so they're, and they're trusting their news media to do a good job to try and get them the pros and cons and the, so they can make a balanced decision and things like that. And then the news media falls absolutely flat. On any kind of, uh, you know, one side versus the other. It's, I mean, it's insane. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it is disappointing. I mean, part of the, part of the problem is, I guess part of the challenge is when, when, when others from the legislature or when from the governor's office, when they would, you know, if they were confronted with, okay, Bert says this, what do you say? I mean, the answer is we're going to have to talk about taxes. We're going to have to talk about revenues in some form. If we can't get this spending under control, and we haven't, 
and we aren't, we're going to have to talk about taxes. And, you know, and the, and the, and those who are on the other side of this issue don't want to say that word. They don't want to, they don't want to talk about it. Even though you can say, look, PFD cuts are taxes. We're ha we have taxes now. We have the most regressive tax system in the nation now. We have an ICER professor who's been here since the beginning, since 1982, doctorate um, uh, from Harvard or Yale, wherever it's from, uh, who's looked at this issue all the way along, who says this is the most regressive tax in the nation ever. Um, even though, and, and we have, that's what we have down. So we're not talking about no taxes. We're talking about a different form, a, a, a lower impact, low, more equitable form of taxes, even though you have people who could say that, um, you know, uh, they just don't want to say it. So part of the problem is you don't have, you don't have people in the legislature and in the administration who are willing to counter Bert uh, by saying the thing that needs to be said. And so, you know, Bert sort of gets free run. And if somebody, you know, if they want to talk to somebody else, this, you sort of get mush. I mean, you get you get people who say, oh, well, we need to cut spending. Well, we tried that. And everybody in the state knows that didn't work and knows it's not going to work because because the legislature is not going to pass it. So um, it, it's it's tough to find that counter. But but, you know, and so and so maybe the the, the journalists have just given up trying. They know they're not going to find one. Oh, geez. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I I think, well, I think you're giving them too much credit at this point. I think it's easy to look the to look the the powers that be in the eye and say, please tell us, oh, wise ones, what we should print at this point, yeah. because it's just too difficult to go out and find somebody with an alternate point of view that makes, you know, that makes sense. Uh, but unfortunately, that's where we're at right now. All right. Uh, we're going to be uh, continuing here uh, with Brad Keithley, uh, number two of the weekly top three. Uh, we're talking about uh, some of the problematic commentary from folks uh, around the state. Uh, Joe Pascvan, uh, specifically uh, up in Fairbanks, who is a former legislator and uh, is going to be joining us. Uh, or is we're going to be talking about that here in just a second. Brad Keithley continues the Michael Duke show common sense radio. Here we go. Public anima number one. Oh wait, sorry. Uh, enemy public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. I am not. I'm a perfect angel, not a pain anywhere. Well, maybe. Uh, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke show, Tuesday edition of the show. It is the weekly deep dive, what we like to call the weekly top three with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He joins us to talk about uh, some big issues that he thinks we need to be paying attention to. We're on a number two of the weekly top three. And in number two, we talk about the problematic uh, behavior, the problem with Joe Pascovan. Uh, and others across the state. Joe is a former legislator from Fairbanks, making some commentary here. Uh, Brad, let's dive into that. Give me give me the details here. So Joe wrote an op-ed. Former Senator uh, Joe Pascovan uh, from Fairbanks wrote a wrote an op-ed that says Alaska's operating money could be exhausted. You know the same. We we start with the same premise right, right. as as, as Bert's bootstrap. Oh my God, we have a crisis. Right. <laughs> Wait, the they have talking research. points? I mean, how does that work? Right. 
That's right. You want to you want to see the memo that's distributed, right? Here's the crisis of the day. Alaska's anyway. The title of the piece is Alaska's operating money can be exhausted. Get rid of SB 21. And SB 21, for those that don't recall, was the oil tax bill back in the early 20 teens that that redid the oil taxes, undid aces, and redid the oil taxes to to set the oil tax structure, basically the oil tax tax structure uh, uh, that we have now. Um, and Joe goes on and on as he as he has, and as Bill Wolikowski has over time, goes on and on about SB 21 and how SB 21 is the cause. If we would only repeal SB 21, uh, then you know birds would sing, flowers would bloom, uh, Alaska would be you know would be back in balance, and we would never have to worry. Unicorns worry and puppies, unicorns and puppies, unicorns and puppies <laughs> yeah. everywhere. That's right, Dan- dancing through the field, whatever whatever image you want to you want to do. Look. You and I have talked on the program a lot about the fact there that the money is, or that the, the the state is leaving money on the table with respect to the oil companies. There is more money uh, uh, from the oil companies uh, that we could that that could be taxed, should be taxed, consistent with the constitutional obligation, um, and 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 taken by the state, and it would not have a. a, a, a an adverse impact on oil company incentives to explore for and develop uh, additional production. Um, it's about, it's clearly a hundred million dollars from Hillcorp, um, which, uh, which is benefiting from the Hillcorp loophole uh, in how they have uh, structured their corporation differently than BP so that they pay a hundred million dollars less than BP would uh, had, uh, had BP continued. Uh, and then there's additional money uh, out there on the table from, uh, from uh, the production tax that uh, that even the Dunleavy administration at one point, although they seem to have forgotten that now under Adam Crum, uh, that the that the Dunleavy administration admitted could be uh, could be taken from the oil companies, and that's four another four hundred four hundred and fifty million. So we're talking five hundred five hundred fifty million six hundred million uh, total. There is there is money on the table, but here's the point: the point is it's not enough anymore. Uh, the spending has has escalated to the point, and oil prices have dropped to the point uh, that that we have this growing gap, this growing fiscal gap uh, in the state. Once we did the crossover, once in the early 20 teens, when we did the crossover between spending outstripping uh, outstripping revenues, it's just continued to to continued to widen uh, over time, and it's a little bit narrower now because oil prices are up, but it's still huge. Uh, over the past five years, the debt. Now, keep in mind, so that we got 500, 550 million, 600 million, 700 million, 750 million. You know, let's let's just say those are the those those are the numbers that we're dealing with uh, in terms of uh, undertaxing oil. The la- over the last five years, the deficit, even with the boom years that we had in oil prices a couple of years ago, even with those boom years. Uh, the deficit has averaged over the last five years, de- averaged 1.05 billion, about about one bi- one billion one hundred uh, million, 1.1 billion. Oil is, you know, we got we got more to get from oil in terms of 500, 556. You know, pick a number, but it's not 1.1 billion. Over the next ten years, the deficit rises to 1.7 billion per year. And by the end of the decade, by 2032, on the trajectory we're on, the deficit is 2.5 billion per year. 
So we're dealing we're we're dealing with numbers that start out in the in the early 20 teens start out in the in the hundred million hundreds of millions, but still low hundreds of millions. And now we're now we're over a billion. The past five years have been over a billion, and we're going to you know over two billion by by the end of the by the end of the decade. So yes, oil is there is more on the table to be gotten from oil, but it's not enough. Given even the spending that that you know the Dunleavy administration has approved over the last five years, Dunleavy signed off on over the last five years, it's certainly not enough. Given what we're what we're seeing over the next ten years, as spending rises and oil rev and oil production and oil prices uh, uh, moderate. So the, my problem with Pascovan anymore, and my problem with Willikowski, frankly, anymore, is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 go tax oil. That's 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 something that should be part, but it's only part. We need to do more. We need to constrain spending some. We need to have some restructuring of the PFD to POMV fifty fifty. We need to have oil taxes as a part of it, but there has to be some other form other than PFD cuts, there has to be some other form of personal taxes as well that would be low impact, have the have the lowest uh, adverse impact on the economy and have a low impact on on Alaska families. It's an all of the above. What we're really talk is, talking about is an all of the above strategy. And my problem with Pascovan and Wilikowski is they keep they keep focusing on this one thing, like if we just do that, then unicorns and puppies and flowers blooming and, you know, spring and rainbows and all that sort of stuff. It's not going to happen anymore. I mean, that's not what the numbers tell you anymore. Well, and so, and so, you know, Joe needs to get off this kick. Bill needs to get off this kick that it's just this one thing, right? The Alaska, the, the, the fiscal policy working group, the legislature's fiscal policy working group got it right. They looked at it in detail. They understood the issue. They got it right. It's all of the above. Right. And for, and and we just need to get off this kick that is, if you just do my one thing, we'll be OK. Well, a couple of different things. First and foremost, Willikowski and others have constantly used a number of what well, we're, we're losing one point two billion dollars. Right. That's the number that you keep hearing floating around, that there's one point two billion dollars that we should be taxing from the oil companies. But based on what you just said of the projected deficit of one point seven billion dollars, the 1.2 still doesn't do it all, so it's not. It can't just be that uh, on the you know uh, on the one hand. Uh, the uh, the other part is that as you as you look at this and you see what these guys are saying, they're constantly coming back to the same idea of of we can only fix this one thing. That there should be no other no other discussion, no other no other uh, point. And it's just it's not going to work. And the the worst part to me was what you just said is even with the big years. I mean, what was it year, two years ago? Natasha von Imhoff was quoted from somebody on the floor saying, "We've got so much money, we don't know what to do with it." I mean, kind of thing. They had such a bunker year, but even with the bumper crop year, we're still averaging a billion one point one billion dollar a year in deficit. I mean, even with that, that that skews the average. I mean, that's horrific. What happens if it goes the other way? And then what does the deficit do? I mean, it's a, it's, this is crazy at this point. It is. And, and certainly spending cuts need to be part of it, but we're not, spending cuts alone aren't going to do it. Oil taxes alone aren't going to do it. PFD cuts. I mean, you have to eliminate the PFD by the end of the decade. If we keep going, you know, the, the, the leftover approach, the. PFDs but there's still not enough money, even with that. Right. Right. 
I mean, and, even, and, even with that. And none of none of this, none of this is enough to, to resolve the fiscal situation we're in. I mean, some people say, oh, we're going to get increased oil production. Well, the problem is the increased oil production, at least from Willow, doesn't have royalties. And royalties is a big part of the revenue stream. Uh, and PICA has, has you know, phased their project now. The first phase is only going to be 80000 a day. That's 80000 a day, but we're dropping, you know, we, we're having a decline curve from the existing sources. So that really just sort of, you know, over the, over the, certainly over the 10 year period, even over the five year period, that just sort of replaces what, what, what's in the, what's in the decline curve. So we've got it. We've got to grow up. We've got to become adults and we've got to say, okay, I understand now that one, that this one thing is not going to create unicorns and puppies and, you know, rainbows and all that sort of stuff. We've got to do just like the fiscal policy working group did. We've got to do a number of, we got to do a number of things together. And, and frankly, people who pick one and say, that's the deal, that's what's going to solve this, that's what's going to, that's what's going to, you know, create rainbows, rainbows and unicorns and puppies, people who pick one are part of the problem because they're not using their voice to educate the public that it's an all-in solution, that, that everything has to be part uh, to get us back in balance. We don't have an unlimited future. We don't have an unlimited revenue stream. Right. We've got to curb our spending habits. We don't, and and we can't take it all from the oil companies. There is not enough blood in that stone to take it from. Um, uh, and so we've got to curb, you know, the expectations from the oil companies. We've got to curb the expectations of getting it all out of PFD cuts. Uh, and we've got to curb, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've never argued that we can do it all through taxes. I mean, we've got to do it as part of as part of the all all of the above solution. So I just my problem with Joe in this op ed uh, really is, Joe, use your voice, use your talents, use your position in the community to educate the public. It's got to be a number of things as opposed to just picking out that one thing and just, you know, continue to hammer on it time after time after time. Yeah, exactly. And again, no one solution is going to fix it. It has to be. Uh, it has to be a holistic approach where you look at everything at once. It cannot be a one single source solution for any of this, which Brad and I have talked about ad nauseum at this point. So, uh, Brad, uh, number three is coming uh, right up and we're going to be talking a little bit about South Central Gas, which is going to be a big deal uh, moving forward. You want to give us a half sec tease here? Yeah, there there is there is a lot of people. It's one of these deals again. A lot of people have you know, some solutions to the issue. Uh, but there is one mainstream force, I think, that's really sort of got the adult in the room uh, uh, solution to it or talking about the right solution to it. And, and you know, I want to use my voice to amplify that uh, right solution as opposed to all these other things that are going on. Right. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three continues. Number three, dead ahead. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
uh donna says uh the senate's oil tax fiscal bill shows that there's no that there is not a billion dollars available and i know that donna i was just saying that all these these chirping birds are always talking about you know whether it's willikowski or paskman or harold or whoever saying oh there's 1.2 billion dollars even if there was 1.2 Based on what Brad's talking about here, the, the future projections of $1.7 billion, it's still not enough. There is no one-note solution to this whole thing. It's like everybody wants to fix the whole thing with a tweet. You can't do it in 148 characters. You know, you need to do it. You need to have a, a little bit of a, you know, of a summary and a, and a you know, a 16-page projection, not a 148-character tweet. Brad? Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right, Michael. I mean, it's what what you know. We sort of we sort of get in our minds. I think you know static numbers and and just sort of lock in on those and forget that they move. So in the early you know twenty teens, the deficit was three hundred, four hundred, five hundred million dollars. It wasn't it wasn't a billion. And so people think, okay, well, that was, that's when SB 21 was passed. You know, that's the, that's sort of the deficit that, that, that existed at the time. And so SB 21 is the solution because, uh, or repealing SB 21 is the solution because that was the deficit that created the deficit. And so we can, you know, so we can just undo that and, and we'll be fine. The, the problem is wor- the world keeps moving. You know, spending has continued to go up. Dunleavy has signed bills has signed appropriations bills where spending continues to to go up. Uh, revenues have continued to go down. Oil prices aren't $120 anymore as they were in the in the in the early 20 teens. Oil prices, you know, oil production isn't 700 million a day like it was in the early 20 teens. And 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 the world changes. And and the world that has, the the changes that have been going on in our world and will frankly continue to go on in on in our world. Is is this is this gap that's op- that continues to open between spending rising and re- and traditional revenues going down? So when we think about solutions, we need to think about solutions that deal with that gap wherever we are in that gap at that point, as opposed to you know locking in on what the numbers were back in the early twenty teens or the mid twenty teens or even the late twenty teens. We're 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 beyond that world now. And and we need it. We need to deal with uh, the 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 real world dynamic that's going on as opposed to this past one. So, you know, that's that's where a lot of this comes from. People just have a, a memory of, oh my God, you know, the deficit that got created after the after SB twenty one could have been covered by SB twenty one, so it can still be covered by SB twenty one. Nope, can't. That's just not that's just not the world we live in anymore. And and it has to be an all in solution that includes in part. As the fiscal policy working group said, includes in part spending cuts, but but includes other things as well. Uh, again, that's not to say that you're not uh, necessarily a fan of SB 21. I remember we've had plenty of discussions on that uh, back and forth over the years. It's got issues. But again, no one note solution will fix what we have going on here. Yep, it, it, exactly right. And, and I, you know, I got to give credit uh, again. I think I've done it a lot, but I'm going to give credit again to the Fiscal Policy Working Group. They understood. They studied it. They focused on it. Ben Carpenter and 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 you know Mike Shower and Shelley Hughes, Jesse Keel, you know, Jonathan Kreese, huh? Uh, yeah, Jonathan Kreese Tompkins. Yeah, JKT. Jo- 
Jonathan Christ Tompkins, I mean, Hoffman, I mean, they understood the issue and they got their arms around it. The problem is, you know, you go back to the rest of the legislature and the rest of the legislature says, no, 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 no. Oil taxes can do it or PFD cuts only can do it or, you know, some other some other one, you know, one note solution can do it. Adam Wool. Adam Wool was great. You know, well, that's that was the opinion of of those legislators. My opinion is oil. We just revise oil taxes. We can do it. I, it's just, I mean, the fiscal policy working group dug into the issue, understood the issue, got the solution right. We just, we we need to keep going with that solution. People who, then, you know, veer off on these one note tactics, I just think are, are, are undoing the progress the fiscal policy working group made and, 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 and putting us, you know, farther back than, than we were then. Yeah, well, and that's the problem. I mean, uh, you know, I think Adam Wool's uh, opinion was a microcosm of what's going on. Too bad all these guys got together and spent a good chunk of their summer going over and doing all this stuff from both left and right, but totally bipartisan. Some of the most polar opposite people you can find in the legislature, they came together and unanimously kumbaya and said, these are the things that we need to do. And everybody else was like, oh, you know, that's your opinion. Wait, you, we... We were we were specifically hired or put together to do all these things. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, anyway, uh, all right, the bell just went off. I have it muted uh, quite a bit. So uh, we're 20 seconds out right now, getting ready to rejoin the radio. Brad Keithley is our guest, the weekly top three. We're coming up to number three about South Central gas and more. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Uh, there's only 11 people who've liked the show today or shared the show, maybe liked and shared like and share. We got to do it. Here we go. Okay, we're continuing right now. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three. We're on to number three, which has to do with South Central and the gas supply. Now, this is, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of panicky kind of noise creeping into the edges of this thing because some of the some of the folks who were in the know are like, what what are we going to do? We got to do something. We got to find something. So they're looking for sources of gas. Uh, sometimes from outside, I mean, the crying shame that we would actually have to import gas into a state that has trillions of cubic feet of gas underground. But uh, anyway, Brad, you say the weekly top three, number three, is the fact that somebody, finally, uh, somebody is uh, being responsible out looking at South Central gas supplies. Give me, uh, Give me your take on it. Well, there's a report in the Petroleum News, which actually is a, a, a very good news source for those that don't follow it, don't read it, don't subscribe to it. Uh, Petroleum News Alaska is, is one of the sources that I sort of check on every day. Uh, and there's a headline in it that says, New Report su- uh, Supports Importing of LNG to Fill Cook Inlet Gas Supply Gap. Now, that's the headline's a little misleading because it, 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 it implies that that's the only solution. It's not. It's not what the what the what the uh, what the report uh, actually says, but it, it is it is part of it. Here's the deal. Um, uh, as we've talked before on the show, uh, Hillcorp has told customers of uh, of Cook Inlet gas, which are really 
used to be Chugach and the municipality of Anchorage is now Chugach uh, Electric uh, Corp. Um, other electric suppliers down on the Kenai Peninsula uh, and NSTAR Natural Gas, uh, the, the natural gas supplier to uh, South Central, have told them that uh, the South Central, that Hillcorp's gas supply, and Hillcorp's the primary supplier out of South Central, Hillcorp's gas supply is going to be insufficient for it to renew contracts. Uh, as they at the current volumes uh, as they come up, and so there's there's concern uh, by uh, South Central that or the the customers in South Central that uh, there's going to be a, a shortage. You know, if Hillcorp's not producing it, and there really aren't any other producers in in uh, uh, in in from Cook Inlet Gas, significant producers from Cook Inlet Gas, then you know what what are we going to do? And it's a legitimate concern. But people have been looking at it. Uh, the, there's a working group composed of uh, uh, composed of the utilities um, uh, from uh, from South Central, Matsu, uh, the Matsu Electric, uh, uh, Chugach Electric, uh, uh, Homer Electric, uh, and NSTAR uh, that have been looking at the issue, have hired consultants. And there's a recent consultant report from Black and Beach, uh, one of the one of the primary. Uh, 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 gas consultants out there, energy consultants out there that, that talks about the solution. Um, and the solution basically is uh, a number of things. One is, interestingly, to increase storage, uh, storage capacity in the Cook Inlet, gas storage capacity in the Cook Inlet. One of the problems of gas is, is you produce, you, you, the, the demand is fairly low in the summer, particularly in Alaska. It's fairly low in the summer. And then it's and then it spikes in the winter, uh, and then goes back on, down on the other side, and uh, and is flat again uh, in the in the summer, lower again in the summer. Now, gas, however, doesn't produce in that same characteristic. Gas from the Cook Inlet uh, and other places produces on a fairly even basis. So the the issue, one of the issues we have is that we have excess gas capacity, production capacity in the summer. Uh, but we, but it's not the production isn't the production isn't high enough to meet the peak in the winter. And what you do in that with in that case is you develop storage. You take the excess gas production, you produce the gas in the summer, you stick it into storage, and then bring out storage as an additional supply source uh, in the winter. So one of the one of the pieces of the solution is to develop additional storage and 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 help us shave peaks, shave what are called winter peaks. Uh, in uh, in gas demand, that frankly, the last time we had the Cook Inlet problem in the early 20 teens, um, uh, that one of the solutions was for NSTAR to develop a storage field and to and to utilize storage to shave off the peaks, and that got us through this past decade, frankly. Um, so uh, that's one of the solutions is to expand storage. We still have a, a a little bit of excess production capacity in the summer. We could take that and put it into storage and use it uh, in the winter. That'll get us a few years. Uh, 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 in terms of in terms of saving the uh, situation, uh, another piece of it is some uh, renewable energy sources, some wind farms, some solar farms, even in Alaska, uh, uh, and developing some renewable energy. I mean, one of the big consumers of Cook Inlet gas is 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 the electric generation uh, in um, in South Central, um, and so another piece of that is to develop additional sources. Uh, of electric generation using renewable sources. And the state's spending a lot of money. The feds are spending a lot of money to develop those sources. But those aren't going to come on fast enough and those aren't going to be big enough to offset the, the, the problem created by the Cook Inlet decline. So you've got two pieces there. You've got uh, 
uh, a little bit that's that's covered by gas storage. You got a little bit that's covered by renewables. A third part of the piece, the consultants say, is uh, is the proposed Hillcorp sale to Fairbanks uh, of natural gas to Fairbanks, pipe down in a short pipe uh, from uh, from uh, the North Slope uh, to, or well, truck down actually, LNG truck down uh, from the North Slope uh, uh, to uh, to Fairbanks. Fairbanks. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Fairbanks is is sort of dependent on Cook Inlet gas in part by wire. It's electricity generated in South Central that's that's then uh, uh, transmitted up to to Fairbanks and used to to Fairbanks. The rail belt, right. Right. A part of it is is LNG that's trucked out of uh, Cook Inlet LNG that's trucked out uh, of of Cook Inlet and up to Fairbanks. So part of the problem is to get or a part of the solution is to get Fairbanks off of that. Is to is to reduce the Fairbanks piece of that by bringing the the Hillcorp uh, LNG down from the North Slope down to uh, down to Fairbanks, but that still doesn't do enough. So so what's the other piece of that? And frankly, it's fairly creative thought. Another piece of that is what they call floating LNG, and that is an LNG regas facility uh, that you can that you don't have to build on land. Not a big not a big kit. Uh, it's a floating barge uh, that uh, is an LNG regas facility. You bring the LNG up to the LNG tanker up to the, the floating barge, uh, and then you regas on the barge and you bring it off. Two things about that: uh, one is it's not you're not putting in sunk costs. You can barge in the floating LNG. You can barge out the floating LNG plant when some when it, when your when your need is over. If you if you satisfied it. Um, some other way. So you're not putting in a lot of sunk costs. Um, and the second uh, piece of it is additional su- su- supply um, into South Central. And I think that's been fairly creative thought. Floating LNG, by the way, is how Europe has met its increased uh, LNG uh, demand as a result of the Russian cutoff, as a result of them cutting themselves off from Russia supplies, Russian gas supplies, which was their primary supplier. They brought in floating LNG facilities. And we're able to bring in a lot of LNG, floating LNG regas facilities, and we're able to bring in a, a lot of uh, LNG um, as a as a result of that very quickly. I mean, they 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 solved their problem in 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 a time frame that nobody thought they could accomplish, but they solved it by putting in these floating LNG facilities. So, it's a it, it it's a very it's a very creative way of dealing with the additional uh, uh, supply that you need after you've done. Um, uh, uh, storage and after you've done uh, uh, some uh, renewables and after you've uh, uh, addressed the, the Fairbanks uh, uh, piece of it. But we've got people who are going, I mean, li- like the fiscal plan, we got people who are going off. I mean, Willikowski has said, oh, the real solution is to force Hillcorp, you know, to invest more, to develop more supply that we think may be out there uh, in, uh, uh, in, in Cook Inlet or to you know, force additional uh, production out there by, you know, forcing additional uh, producers to either join the fray or to, or to develop additional supplies that people think they have behind pipe or that are reach, re, reachable from their facilities. Well, good luck with forcing anybody to invest additional money uh, to develop a, additional supply out there. We got other people who say renewables are the only are are the only solution, the only thing we need to do. Same thing as fiscal policy. We got all these little one-offs. 
it's an all-in policy, and I think the Black & Beach Report's a great place to go to understand what the all-in policy is. Well, and I found our creativity of, like, you know, don't have to build storage facilities. You can use the Beluga field that's already exhausted and use that to restore gas. And it seemed like it's a pretty comprehensive report. I haven't read the whole thing yet. But, again, some other options, stretching this out at least maybe another 10 years before we have to face it. Maybe something else changes in the meanwhile, and we're able to get some of that stranded gas from the North Slope down to us. We'll see what happens here. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend, for coming on board and joining us. Uh, sneak peek bonus segment up next. Uh, lifestyle, some fun stuff. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, if you got to go, we appreciate you sticking with us this morning. Be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show, Hour 2 is dead ahead. I mean, again, some of the interesting parts of this report, uh, just with the expansion of the storage, um, they could, again, push the the gap, the gas supply gap, uh, to somewhere near the end of this decade, maybe even into uh, halfway into the 2030s, which would give us, again, some more time to have new technologies developed or some other kind of change. I mean, it just gives you more options to push it down the road a little bit. Uh, to have more options to look at as you come as you come back. Yep, I, I I agree with that, Michael. And storage is certainly, I mean, as I say, that was a big part of how we how we addressed this issue uh, in the early 20 teens. The last time we had the last time we had a Cook Inlet crisis, um, the state poured a lot of money into into exploration or production incentives into the Cook Inlet. I mean, we had a lot of oil and gas tax credits that we poured into it. That helped a little bit, but. Uh, but the big uh, the big impact was uh, was out of storage last time, and it's good to see that uh, that uh, we still have the option of addition of expanding the storage. That there's still excess uh, production capacity um, uh, in the summer that we can you know convert into storage and convert into uh, winter deliverability. So it's it's good to see that as well. But you know you, you read these op eds that people write. I mean the renewable community is all in on let's spend a whole bunch of money developing all this renewable capacity that'll get us out of the problem well no it won't right uh, and and you know willikowski's all in on let's force the oil companies force the oil companies to to invest more to develop additional supply uh, and you know that'll get us out of the problem no it won't um and and even and even storage uh it has its limits i mean at some yeah. point there isn't enough excess capacity in the summer, excess production to in the fill the to, storage. Yeah. To to fill storage. The storage. Ben Garbiter makes the comedy sick consultants highlight renewable energy as an option because one governments are willing to subsidize it. And two, it wouldn't be politically correct to omit it from the list, which is the, I mean, there, there's a whole argument to be had about the creation of, uh, of uh, renewables and what does that actually cost in the long run? What's the real sunk costs of that? And what does it take? That's a whole nother it's it's a whole other show, but I mean it's it's definitely uh, interesting. Um, the the trucking from Fairbanks uh, has always been an interesting thing. They used to truck up gas from Anchorage when there was excess production. Now they're going to be trucking it from the North Slope. Um, do you think that they would truck it all the way to Anchorage? Would they create some kind of spur line from Fairbanks to Anchorage, or would they truck it all the way down? What what do you think? You know, physically, you can truck it all the way down. Here's the pro- the problem: is as the Cook Inlet declines, it's all, 
I always get into these, you know, declines and, and declines and inclines. And <laughs> he's talking with but his as, hands again. He's <laughs> but as but as Cook Inlet, uh, yeah, it really goes over really well on radio, right? To talk with hands. Um, uh, as Cook Inlet declines, um, uh, the the stream of trucks you would have to have, the size of trucks and the stream of trucks you'd have to have uh, from the North Slope to meet Anchorage's demand. Uh, would be huge. I mean, you're talking about what's what's the project up in up up, up in Fairbanks that everybody's concerned about? All the trucks are going to be oh for Pogo, man, yeah the 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 Pogo pro the yeah. project the new pro the new Pogo project that uh, you know all these trucks are going to be on the road as well. You know, you'd have both lanes, you know, with LNG trucks coming down bumper to bumper LNG trucks all the way down. It'd be <laughs> right. nothing but a string right. of nonstop LNG trucks. Right. So it's, I mean, Fairbanks is one thing. Fairbanks uh, respectfully has lowered, let me just put it this way. Fairbanks has lower demand than Anchorage does. Well, they don't have the penetration um, in the market is, I mean, they're trying to do build outs and everything else, but they don't have the infrastructure to put everyone on gas as they have built out over the decades here in the South Central area. Well, yeah. And the electricity demand, you know, with all due respect, is lower than in, in it's, it's important, but it's lower in, in Fairbanks than it is in, in Anchorage. So it's, 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 it's really the size. I mean, you could put the trucks on the road, may have the occasional explosion. Eh. Uh, you could put the trucks on the road, uh, but, but, but the amount of trucks that you would have to have on the road to do this would be just, you know, astronomical. So right. that's, it, it's, 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 you know, if, if we go into a blackout crisis, maybe we can get some trucks down here right. and shave off the peak of the blackout, but, well, but if it's you, not a long-term solution. If you put a, uh, if you put a floating gasification rig uh, down somewhere, like you were talking about on a barge, uh, couldn't you create a, 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 a liquefaction rig up on the North slope and, and boat it around from the, from the North slope down? I mean, would that make sense rather than over the ocean all the way from somewhere else? I mean, is it, I don't know. Is it feasible? I have no idea. Well, you got, you got a couple of problems up at the slope. One is that it's shallow. Uh, and that's always been a problem with LNG tankers with getting LNG tankers up there. And the other part of it is historically it's been iced in. Uh, now the ice, the ice is, is less of an issue, but you still got an issue during, you know, a significant part of the year. You still got an ice issue up there. And you've got the you got the shallowness issue. So, you know, it's 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 worth continuing to think about, but it's economics and its size. I mean, right. you gotta get enough gas into South Central to meet the anchorage demand, to meet the electricity demand and the and the natural gas demand. Um, and it's the economics of of building a, a gasification, building a, a dock, you know, having ships, because LNG tankers are huge, right? So if, if you wanted to try to, you know, try to use LNG to do it, but you had to deal with the, the, the shallowness issue and you had to deal with the ice issue, maybe you got small, you have to have special purpose, smaller LNG tankers. Right. And the economics then just become very, very difficult. Well, yeah. If you have to build out new ships, that's a whole nother deal. All right. Um, Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're going to keep him over for one more bonus segment. This more of a slice of life segment. And we're going to continue with that here in just a second. We'll put Brad back in the uh, green room and we'll uh, hold on to him for just a second. Be back. The Michael Duke Show continues. Your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Please like and share, like and follow, do all the YouTube stuff and the Facebook stuff and everything else. We're back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. 
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. That's right. Hour two of the big radio broadcast. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets with the weekly top three. If you missed it, don't forget you can catch it on the podcast, wherever you find good podcasts or mediocre podcasts, wherever that is. My favorite is Spotify, uh, but you could find it on CastBox and iTunes and Stitcher and Google and TuneIn Radio and all those other places as well. Uh, also, you can go watch it on the replay on Facebook or YouTube. I mean, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. It's good stuff. Go check it out uh, and enjoy it. Uh, meanwhile, Hour 2 of the big radio broadcast for Tuesday means that Chris Story is going to be joining us in the second segment today for our Betterment segment it's the it's the uplift the you know after we get the whole beat down from brad we need a little bit of positivity in our life because he's such a mean mean man um but uh before we do that today i thought we would get a um i thought we would get a little bit of a lifestyle segment brad and i were chatting uh and he had one more thing that he wanted to talk about but it's kind of more fun and lifestyle yesterday we were talking a bit about hamilton coming to um uh, Hamilton coming to Alaska with like 30 shows uh, down in Anchorage. They're going to be doing 30 different shows up until September the 10th. And we were chatting back and forth where, you know, like I said, I mean, I don't know if I was going to pay for tickets. Those tickets are not cheap, right? I mean, for two up in the balcony in the nosebleeds, it's like almost 300 bucks for two tickets to go, you and a friend to go see it. Down on the floor, it's over 400. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a cheap experience, but it could be a bucket list experience, which, uh, Brad is, uh, going to come on and talk with us about because he did it. He did it. He got out there. He got a chance to see Hamilton and he, uh, wanted to tell us, just, uh, give us, I guess, a, a little bit of a review and a report about this bucket <laughs> list thing. Uh, you know, Brad, I mean, I think my favorite comment from yesterday was, I think it was Bill who said, uh, uh, you know, I said, would you would you go see Hamilton? Would you go do it? Would you buy tickets? And he said, I think I'd rather buy ammo. I think that was kind of the whole that, that was the difference. But you're saying this is a you know, this is a once in a lifetime gig, right? I mean, you got a chance to go see it. So give us a, give us your thoughts on it. Just uh, just for a little bit of slice of life here. Tell me what you're thinking here. Well, I can't uh, I, I can't argue with somebody who wants to go buy ammo with the money as opposed to as opposed to Hamilton. I mean, it's 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 what you want to do. It's what brings you joy. It's what uh, what excites you and, and what brings you great, uh, great pleasure. And if ammo is 
you know, going out to the range <laughs> or going hunting and, and the additional ammo is, is your joy. I can't argue with that. But, but here's the deal with, with, with Hamilton. Um, the production that we have in Anchorage is something different, something I haven't seen in, you know, I've been around Anchorage, in Anchorage, you know, in Alaska since the, since the early 90s. Um, and it's something that is entirely different for, uh, for Alaska and for Anchorage. I have traveled a lot in my life. I love theater, love live theater, and I have, you know, watched it in Anchorage over the years, watched it in Fairbanks over the years. In fact, uh, college productions, um, I've, I've traveled, you know, as part of my travels, I've gone to New York, I've gone to DC, I've gone to London, which, you know, has wonderful live theater in the, in the West end of London. Um, I've gone to Toronto, which is sort of the Canadian, uh, 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 version of New York. I've gone to Seattle, which has, which is the stopping point for a lot of shows on their way to Broadway as they sort of, sort of work out the kinks and, uh, and watch them there. Um, so I've seen a lot of theater over my life. I've seen a lot of good theater. I've seen a lot of bad theater. Anchorage over the years has had sort of mediocre theater. It's had, right. <laughs> you know, some great, some great local productions, but when you bring a national production into Anchorage, what's often happened is they've pared down the cast, they've pared down the sets, they they don't use a, a they they pare down the orchestra, or they use recorded music as opposed to as opposed to live music, um, and it's been it's been good theater in the sense that it's a theater experience and frankly, live is better than recorded right. uh, for me, for me anytime, but it's not been, I mean, I, I would never tell anybody that, that the theater that we, that we've seen in Anchorage historically is as good as the theater in, in New York or the, or the, or Chicago or London or any of the great uh, theater spots out there. Because that's economy of scale. I mean, let's face it. That's, it, you know, you got a, you got a base, a base of a bill of a million people versus a base of a couple hundred thousand. It's obviously not as going to be as good uh, with, without all the accoutrement and all the extra stuff. Yep. Exactly. Right. Here's the change. I went and watched Hamilton. I went to, to see Hamilton uh, uh, Sunday night. Um, and I was blown away by the quality of the production. I've seen Hamilton on Broadway. I, I was I was there the week after Mike Pence was, uh, is my claim to fame <laughs> in, that, in that regard. Mike Pence went early in the production and I was there the the, the week after and, and watched the early Hamilton production when Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, the uh, the creator of Hamilton the, and the lead, the person person who who played uh hamilton in the early shows uh was still was still uh performing i i saw the quality hamilton production on broadway the production in anchorage is every bit as good as that the the actors the voices the set the music the 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 orchestra uh all of it the performance is every bit as good uh as what i saw uh, on broadway and that's just that's astoundingly different for Anchorage. It's something that Anchorage has, has not had. And, and, and it's, it's, it's the result of a partnership between um, uh, the Anchorage Performing Arts Center and uh, the Nederland Association um, that, uh, that, has, that, that puts on uh, these sorts of uh, 
scale production uh, quality productions uh, in Chicago, historically in Chicago, and and in they own a bunch of theaters in New York. They own some theaters in D.C. They own some theaters in London. Um, they have his. They have historically put on these quality productions, um, and as a result of this new partnership between the Performing Arts Center and that organization, uh, they've brought this production to uh, to Anchorage. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know how they can afford it. <laughs> I don't know what the economics of this are, because to pay the number of of actors, the number of performers in 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 uh, in in Hamilton, and it's huge. It's a huge number uh, to pay those to pay those performers the 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 scale they have to pay to get that quality of performance. Uh, to pay to ship the 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 set up here, to pay the orchestra, and they've got a full orchestra behind it to pay the orchestra. Um, I don't know how I, even even at the even at the uh, the ticket prices that they're charging, and by the way, there's discounts available. So, you know, let, let's y- yes, those that's the that's the ticket price, but there's discounts out there if you if you look for them um, uh, to to pay that quality of performance and to make it economic. I'm not quite sure how they're doing it. Right. What's the um, What's the secret here? How did you make money on this deal? Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's a whole segment to be done on, on how they, how they did the economics and, and why. Well, why I gotta be but honest, I, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with it. Yeah. Well, I gotta be honest with you. I was impressed by the logistics of this. Cause there's been several articles over the last couple months about how they're, you know, they basically, they barged up like container loads of, of set dressing and props and they flew a bunch of stuff up on the airplanes. And like you said, it, the expense and the lift to get everything here must have been enormous. It's not normal to see that kind of, like you said, normally it's a limited or a restricted set or something like that. But they went whole hog on this. So, I mean, I guess if you were going to go see anything this year, this would probably be the one thing that you would want to go see if that is that if that's what your interest is. I, th- and that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Again, I'm not arguing, you know, if, if, if ammo is your thing, I'm not arguing to, to short your ammo budget to, to, to go to see Hamilton, but if theater is your thing or is one of your things, sort of like it is for me, this is, this is a production to, to really seriously consider ghosting, notwithstanding the ticket prices, but to, to really seriously consider ghost going to see. And Hamilton in particular, there's other shows coming. Uh, uh, they've got Come From Away coming, which I really, which I really like as a, as a production. Uh, they've got Six coming, which is a musical that's still on Broadway about Henry the wife, Henry the eight, six wives. And it, it's, they've got other productions coming that are, that are good. And that I am sure I will go see because theater is one of my big things, but Hamilton, if you're, if you're going to pick, if you're going to say, I can do one of these, uh, Hamilton, frankly, is the one to do it. Hamilton's unique. I mean, it's, it, it is, it is in, it's a musical. Part of it is in rap. Right. Part of it is, I saw that and I was like, it, what? It's in rap? I mean, yeah. Part of it is in hip hop. Uh, part of it is blues. I mean, it's it sort of spans the musical genres, which is one of its geniuses, because what 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 Miranda was able to do is tap into markets that previously hadn't, you know, been excited by theater because they, you know, the typical right. musical isn't something that, that attracts them. 
you know, uh, the, the people I, I, I was with said, oh, my God, you know, I re- they were younger. I really like this. Right. Because of the because of the music, because because of the beat. Ham- and, and Hamilton's just a, you know, it's a great story. It's a historic story. It's a biography of Alexander Hamilton. And, and some people might think that's pretty blah. But and, yeah, the way the way it's been done in this in this in this performance, in this production is is makes it uh, fairly fairly interesting so right that's the reason mike pence went i mean mike right. pence went to, because it was <laughs> a Alexander lot of people Hamilton. went i mean i'm not poo-pooing it a lot of people went i'm just you know again I, i'm trying to justify the three or four hundred dollars to go see it but it is a bucket list uh kind of performance and the pack uh, the performing arts center in anchorage is a good venue it's a large venue it's got a lot of i've seen a lot of great shows there live music usually but uh you know, this could be a uh, this could be a really uh, a good one time opportunity for folks. And it's a, and it's a big production. Uh, so when you talk about, you know, seats in the balcony and the nosebleed section, you know, sometimes you think, well, you know, yeah, I'm not going to be able to see it. Well, it's a big production. It takes up the full stage. Um, and and there's always a lot going on. I mean, the, the dance, the choreography of this alone is, you know, is worth just a, 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 you know, focusing on that alone for big segments of the show is, is, is worthwhile. It's um, so it's a big production. And from the balcony, the, the sight lines are really good in the performing arts center. And you, and, and, and you don't, you don't feel like you're in the nosebleed section. The sound in the performing arts center is good. The, the challenge here, the challenge, the first time I went to see it, I didn't realize, stupid me, I didn't realize it was hip hop and rap. And the first, the, the opening numbers are hip hop and are rap and, and hip hop. So my ear wasn't ready for it, right? I was ready for a normal musical. And and so I just sort of, I, for the first five or 10 minutes, I just sort of sat there and, you know, wondering what the hell was going on, <laughs> what, what, what was hitting my ears. And I finally got used to it and finally, you know, adjusted to it. But, um, but the but the sound in the in the performing arts center is really good. The acoustics in the performing arts center are really good, and so you really get you know I mean you you're able to if you if you focus on the words if you follow along with the music you're able to really you know get get the full effect of it. I I'm not I'm not trying to sell anybody on it, uh, uh, but 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 my point is this Anchorage this is a different thing for Anchorage. It's a very good for those of us who love theater. It's a very good thing. It's a new thing. It's a it's a it's a just quantum leap uh, for Anchorage in terms right. of in terms of what we have available to us. You don't need to go to New York. I mean, one way to look at it is, well, I might see Hamilton, but I'd have to go to New York to see a quality production. And so there's the airline tickets and all that. You know, you, you compare all that, those costs. And heck, it's pretty cheap. Are cheap. Yeah, pretty cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so it's worth the hype is what you're saying. When it's all said and done, it's worth the hype. Uh, you know, out of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a five-star production here in Anchorage. It is, it is. It's a, it's not only a five-star production compared to what Anchorage usually gets. It's a five-star production in New York. This is a New York quality show. What you're, what you're going to see on the stage here is every bit what you would see the experience you would have, uh, seeing it on Broadway. And I, you know, when I put it down, I, I was just so amazed by the quality compared to compared to what we other had shows in the yeah. past year. Uh, I put it down as a as a segment because I just yeah you know it's just it it is it is something that I think people you you can read all the articles. There's one in the ADN that says bucket list fulfillment and high hopes for downtown as Hamilton 
opens an anchorage. You can read all these articles, all this, all this press, and people will think, oh, maybe that's just hype. I mean, they're just trying to trying to sell tickets. Look, this is a ticket that's worth it. If you like theater, not asking you to give up your ammo if that's what you if that's what you prioritize. <laughs> but if you like theater, this is worth it because this is a is a is a great production. Brad Keithley, thank you so much for your review of Hamilton. I guess it's mostly sold out. The last three or four, the th- week three and four have some uh, shows available. There's 30 shows total, so there you go. It'll be uh, it'll be fun stuff. Well, they've kept some, I mean, like Broadway, they've kept some tickets in reserve and they're sort of popping them out. Uh, So just because when you checked uh, a week ago, if you did, there were no tickets on the night you wanted or no tickets on the next best night and all that sort of stuff. Check again. Yeah. Because there's some, there's some tickets popping out. Brad Keithley. Thank you, my friend. That was fun. Uh, Appreciate that. A little slice of life with Hamilton. Appreciate you coming on board. Hold the line. Folks, we're out of time. We got more Chris stories up next. The Michael Duke show. Common Sense Radio. It's the Michael Dukes Show. Why not take a quick break? Be right back. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, uh, Brad, that's good stuff. I mean, uh, you know, you you kind of made me want to go see it more than where I did. I just, you know, I got to count all the shekels to make sure I can get in. But you know, it's uh, it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be a fun thing. Well, t- tell give Terry as a project or give yourself as a project looking for discounts because there are there are various discounts. I mean, Alaska Airlines was running some sort of discount for the people in the 49 club, which is, you know, like all Alaskans. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's a free club. Join the free club and get some discount tickets and stuff. Um, So it's, so there's, uh, so, so there's various discount opportunities and, and I, I, you know, look for those. Uh, But, you know, if, again, if theater's your thing, it's, um, boy, and you were ever thinking that, you know, maybe someday I'll go to Broadway. There's a lot of reasons to go to Broadway. There's a lot of things about New York that are nice, you know, and going to see a show on Broadway is, is its whole experience. But if, if what you're really focused on is Broadway quality production, this is it. Let me tell you, you've got it right here. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll see if uh, I know Terry says she's taking her mom on Thursday here in the chat room and some other folks. So we'll see. We'll see if folks want to go out and see it. But thank you for giving us the one up on it. We appreciate that. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. As always, my friend, it'll be Brad Keithley reviews from now on. Uh, music, <laughs> music and music and theater from Brad Keithley. It'll be uh, it'll be fun stuff. All right, my friend. Thanks for coming on board and joining us. We appreciate it today. Michael, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, We'll talk to you again soon. All right, folks, that means uh, we got to jump into this here. Let's see if we can get Chris' story. I'm going to do this early in case I break my stuff. I hate it when I break my stuff. Um, Let's see if we can get uh, Chris. um, uh, Oh, hey, look at that. I got some sound there. Let's see if we can call Chris' story and get him on the... uh, on the on board here <laughs> Willie Waffle's been replaced by Brad Keithley possible very possible uh let's get uh let's get Brad uh let's get Chris going on here uh-oh well um let me uh let me 
stop this here and do that. Uh, let me go check my, I better go check my email. See why Chris is not answering the phone. Maybe he sent me an email, said he wasn't going to be here today and I just missed it. We'll see what, uh, we'll see what the, uh, the story is here from Chris. The story on Chris story. Um, um, he said on Sunday, this next week. Oh, yeah. So Chris Story's not available today. Uh, apparently, I missed this email. Or I thought it was next week. I'm going to be unavailable this next week. So, okay. Well, so it's not Chris Story. So it's just you and me, baby. You and me. Look at that. We'll uh, we'll continue on. And we will uh, we'll keep things rolling. Should I open up the phone lines? Um, sure. Why not? Let's do that. Let's, uh, let's open up the phone lines and see what you have to say. And we'll get, uh, we'll get things, uh, squared away for that. I, now that, now that we got into the whole, I was looking forward to the Chris story segment because it's again, not quite so political. And, uh, but now that we've done that, maybe, uh, I don't necessarily want to go back to politics at this point. Right. <laughs> oh, Oh, okay. Um, uh-oh. Why am I not hearing the phones? Oh, so much, so much problems here. Okay. Well, I guess we're not doing the phones because something, something broke. Something broke. Oh, there we go. Um. Nope, that's right there. Yep, that's right there. Nope. Okay. Phones is broke, so no phones for today. We'll be back here. Do you want to leave? Yes, I want to leave. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, or we're going to come back from the break, rather, and uh, we'll kick things off and continue the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like and share. Like and follow. Let's, let's do it. Here we go. Jumping back in now. Okay. <clears throat> well, um, I apparently missed an email from Chris who said, by the way, I'm not going to be here this week. So it's just you and me, baby. Just you and me for the final two segments of the show. Barbara said earlier, maybe Willie Waffle has been replaced by Brad Keithley. Maybe Brad can do all of our entertainment review. Although Brad is more of a live music, live theater thing than a streaming or whatever, but that that would be fun. Um, anyway, we uh, Chris Dory is not going to be here for this segment, so I thought I would throw some things out there. Uh, maybe do a little good news. Uh, Donna has asked me in the chat room to talk about. Um, 
about the new Audible book that I just did. Yeah. Uh, the new Audible book I just did for Chris' story, in fact. Uh, it was a fantastic story. Chris has written, for those of you who haven't uh, followed along with Chris's writing career, um, I mean, he writes some books that are kind of more self-help oriented. Um, and uh, and they're fantastic. Don't get me wrong. They're absolutely fantastic. But he's also written a couple works of fiction. Um, one is called The Making of Man. Uh, and that's kind of a more of a short story. It's about two hours long. Um, I mean, for the audible audio version of it, which I read for him. And then this last one is uh, called The Watchman. Um, it's all part of a series. It all has man in the title because the main character's name is Jacob Mann. Uh, but it was about uh, five and a half, six hours long. And it is a really fun, well, it was fun read for me. It's dark it's brooding it's got twists and turns it's uh it's got mayhem and murder and all kinds of stuff it's just a really fun book uh and it was really good to be able to um it was really good um to uh be able to do the auto i just kind of let my hair down i let my you know i let my, i let my freak flag fly as it were portraying uh, all the characters uh, in that book, including the including the uh, bad guy, uh, the 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 uh, pro, not the antagonist, not the the protagonist and the antagonist. It was really a lot of fun. It was a great book and uh, definitely had some dark twists and turns in it, which I find which I find interesting. Um, but the book is available up on audible right now. If you haven't had a chance to go take a look at it, you can just Google, uh, or just put Chris story in the audible search bar and, uh, you can find it there, uh, or put the watchman with two ends, watchman with two ends. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's good, good stuff. Absolutely great stuff. And I enjoyed it completely. So, um, and I know Chris gave out a bunch of copies of the book last week. Uh, Tawny apparently got one. She said, uh, "She said uh, thank you for the audible copy of The Watchman. It was fabulous. You did a great job. It was great. I asked the library if they could get a physical copy of the book. Um, so that's it's good for you to go out there and, and do that. Uh, but check it out. So, yeah, so I guess this is my little, this is my little tribute to Chris story here. Go over to his website at I love Homer Alaska.com and you could find the actual books and the links, uh, or you could just go to audible and you can search up, um, uh, Chris story on audible and you should be able to find as, in fact, I, I, I think, um, I posted the link up to, I posted the link uh, up in the chat room. There it is right there. I got the link one quick Google search later. And there you go. I got the link up in the chat room so you can go check it out and see what, uh, uh, what, uh, what is available up there. All right. Uh, I was going to, uh, I was going to open up the phone lines, but, uh, I don't know, something's goofy with my stuff this morning. So we have got no, I've got no phone lines to get started with. So I thought I'd do a little bit of good news since I'm kind of in a good mood and uh, don't necessarily want to, 
I mean, although there is this story that we missed yesterday that I was going to talk about, especially after discussing the whole thing with Ben Carson and uh, the school district superintendent and everything else and all the different, you know, fights that we're in right now over school stuff. Um, I guess maybe I'll talk about this and then I'll come back with a good. I always like to finish on that good high note of whatever it is that we're talking about. Um, but this came out yesterday, uh, from, uh, Suzanne. Well, I guess it came out a couple days ago, came out on Friday from Suzanne Downing over at must read Alaska, talking about stuff that was going on in Fairbanks. And, uh, they're talking about in a unanimous decision, the Fairbanks board of education approved a policy this week that affirmed parents' rights to opt their students out of lessons that they deemed inappropriate which could include topics such as birth control, gender ideology, or critical race theory. The policy titled Parental Involvement in Education solidifies the stance that parents have the authority to guide their child's education in alignment with their own personal beliefs. The policy ensures parents can withdraw their children from activities, classes, tests, or programs without penalization, as long as the students fulfill the necessary graduation requirements. A key aspect addresses content related to human reproduction or sexual matters. The school district will be required to provide two weeks notice to parents for any activity class or program involving such content. The provision offers families ample time to decide whether to opt their children out of those specific components. The implementation of this policy aligns with the school district with uh, HB 156, which was enacted back in 2016, which mandated that school districts permit parents to opt their children out of particular programs, classes, and activities while they have the right to opt their students out. It's made clear in the new policy that school employees remain available to answer questions from students on any topic. So they, they still Anytime that they, you know, if the child asks the question, the, the teacher can still answer those questions. The policy reinforces the longstanding practice of Fairbanks schools, which have allowed parents to opt their children out of specific lessons for years. But now, while exercising their rights under the policy, parents and guardians are required to express their objection each time they wish to withdraw their student from an activity, class, program, or assessment. Categorical objections or complete withdrawal from all activities are not permitted. However, students who are withdrawn by their parents will not face penalties and any absence stemming from parental objections will be excused. It's not intended to hinder the child's learning experience, but to provide parents with a means to actively be involved in their child's education. Which is, I mean, that I think that that's a solid that's a solid tack to take this is a solid um uh you know uh policy to put in effect for parents i mean i pick apparently the fairbanks school board gets it that the parents want to have the ultimate say in what's going on with their children which again not a bad not a bad thing i mean i will go on my micro rant about you know if you want total control of your child's education then homeschooling them is the way to go. But I know that some people just don't have the the wherewithal, the personality, the the whatever it is that they don't have that they don't want to do that. And I understand that. So this is good for everyone in that regards, giving parents the ability uh, 
to have more fundamental control over their um, over their uh, uh, child's education. And I think that's a great way because let's face it there. It seems like a lot of ways, many of these places are making it up as they go along when it comes to, when it comes to the education, look, it's going down in Anchorage. The Anchorage school district began school yesterday and they began implementing the one hour late starts for elementary and middle school. They're calling it PLC Mondays, which stands for Professional Learning Communities. It's a district-wide effort to give teachers a weekly time to plan together in hopes of improving the educational experience for students. So in doing so, they start Monday schools one hour late, which, I mean, I guess good for them, but what does it do for I mean, all the parents that are, you know, they have a schedule and this one day a week, they now have to modify their whole schedule for this one day a week to make it happen. School bus pickup times in the mornings are also an hour later for all grade levels on Mondays. And uh, but they did say there was no major issues with transportation on the first day. Parents were able to drop their students off at regular times because school buildings were open. So if you could get your kid to the school at that early hour, they would apparently, I don't know, sit in the gym or do whatever for an hour before they had to go into class. So there's always that. But I mean, I I don't know. I'm just, I'm thinking if you've got a set routine five days a week, why would you change that on the one day to put one hour in for, I mean, couldn't they just show up an hour earlier or couldn't they do an hour after? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't we don't want anybody to work any time longer than they need to on this deal. That's for sure. Don't want anybody to do don't want anybody to do that. Um, Anyway, the uh, the the district reported that nearly fourteen hundred elementary students were dropped off at the regular time on Monday. And that includes children enrolled in the before school programs in total. About 19000 students attended school. So less than 10 percent of them. were, uh, you know, showed up uh, early to drop their kids off at school. So an interesting, interesting component. But I just wanted to point that out. The Fairbanks seems to be doing some good work um, in, uh, in you know, protecting parental rights and doing some good things. I mean, I, that gives me some hope as far as uh, everything that's going on. So uh, good for Fairbanks. Good for you guys. Uh, good to uh, – I know Melissa listens to the uh, show every morning uh, or uh, some mornings – uh, and Melissa's in the chat room today. So good job, Melissa. Good job on doing that. I appreciate you guys protecting the parental rights over there on uh, on all that stuff. I appreciate you being a part of it. Okay. Well, we got to go. Uh, the Michael Duke Show continues. One final segment. We'll do some good news and uh, a little pontification. We'll be back with more right after this. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show.
Okay. Whew. All right, let me go back over to where I was at. Let me go back over to where I was at here. See what you guys have to say. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Can we hear you read from the memories part of one of Brad's book? The memories part of one of Brad's books. One of... I guess I'm confused, Chris. Um... Which book are we talking about? What are you What are you doing? Let's see. Um. All right. No brain surgeon welcome. Just drag queens. Uh, Melissa said, "Yep, we did that." Melissa's part of the school board in Fairbanks. Um. Okay. It's actually from state stat. That's what I was saying. Uh, I read that part. So okay. Um. <laughs> Somebody asked Bill whether or not he was he was going to drink Folgers. He's like, "Do you think I honestly have Folgers in this house? I'd rather drink toilet water." Yeah, I mean, why bother drinking? It's like it's like drinking regular old domestic bulk produced beer. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that to yourself? I mean, I'm going to have something that's craft distilled. I want a little more. I want a little more something something put into that. Um, okay. Matt's who started that crap last year. It's a freaking joke. The real purpose. What? Oh, Matt's who started that stuff. Apparently the one hour delay thing. The real purpose of the stupidity is to teach the teachers how to teach. And that's straight from a teacher. Don't they know? I mean, don't they have like degrees and stuff on how to teach? Do we need to spend an extra hour a week teaching the teachers how to teach? That's, uh, it's weird. Jennifer says, well, I'm glad the policy is in place, but that policy has been in place and I've never been notified ever one time. I'm also a tutor for the district and I've never been notified of that policy professionally. This, I think, was the difference. The, from what I'm reading between the lines here, is that before you always had the option, but now the key aspect is that they're going to get the two weeks notice um, uh, on this. That that is the um, that, that that that's the big part of this is that you're going to get the notice. Is what I'm reading here in the article, uh, Jennifer. So I'm hopefully hopefully that's right. Hopefully you'll start getting the uh, hopefully you'll start getting the notifications now uh, as it goes through. Um, October 3rd, October 3rd is the municipal elections in Fairbanks. Is that what Randy's saying? Yep. October the 3rd. Okay. That's right. Okay. <laughs> uh, Brian says next contract I write for Umi at birthing. I'm writing no Folgers in the contract. That's right. Just bring a bag of your own ground stuff, man. Don't life is too short to, you know. Um, I just wanted to hear you read part of Brad's book. Any book he has, like the you're talking about Chris's book, not Brad's book. That's why I was confused. Any part of Chris's book, like I have the Watchmen. Well, I mean, I can give you a little short taste of that right now. The Watchmen uh, sample that's available on ACX. The stand of spruce was tightly packed with thick limbs drooping down to the low ground. 
Visibility beyond the edge of the parking lot was non-existent. Walking closer, I stepped as lightly as possible. Snap. Another twig broke. That's not a squirrel or a bird. Someone was moving close by. Looking back to the house, I could see through the large picture windows and giving Devon a tour of the living room. Turning back to the forest, I heard another twig snap, then another. He was moving away from me, fast. Was it bravery or stupidity that caused me to enter the woods? I'm still not sure. Once inside the stand of green trees, I could make out a small clearing about fifty feet ahead. Lifting the heavy limbs out of my way, needles poked my hands and slapped me in the face. Realizing the folly of my predicament too late, I heard more snapping of dried limbs. Only, the sound was getting closer. He was moving towards me, moving faster. I crouched lower and was practically crawling by the time I entered the clearing. Looking up, I saw the beautiful blue sky and felt a sudden sense of relief that almost instantly turned into sheer terror. Slowly, vertebra by vertebra, I stood. Gaining my footing, I was about eye level with a massive grizzly bear. He was not more than twenty feet in front of me. On all fours, his giant bucket of a head was level with mine. We locked eyes. That's uh, just a little part of it. If you want to go back, you can listen to the full sample over at audible.com. That was uh, just uh, just a taste, just a taste to tease you in the uh, in the long run there. Uh, all right. So we got some stories here. Um, what about the two houses? Are the two houses real? We'll have to ask Chris that next time. We'll have to ask Chris next time he's on to see what that's all about. They might be. You never know. You ready for it? Let's get into it. Let's do the let's do the good news segment for the show this morning. Let's let's talk about some good news. I've been thinking that this might be a fun thing to do. Uh, a farmer in um, where is he? He's in he's in Scotland. Scotland. Um, a, fodder, a farmer in Scotland grew a quarter of a million sunflowers after discovering that they would survive in his northern climate. Then he created a massive trail that brought visitors from as far away as Australia. Crawford Niven, well, that's a, that's a heck of a name. Crawford Niven first came up with the idea for a flower-lined pathway three years ago and began planning for its official its uh, eventual fulfillment on his farm in Glaugburn Farm near Perth, Scotland. The 26-year-old admitted he was skeptical at first that sun sunflowers would flourish so far north. He said, I didn't think they could grow in Scotland. Or, in as he said in his thing, I didn't think they could grow in Scotland. But the crop has gone on to thrive. He now has 13 acres. Uh, thousands of visitors have wandered the trails on his estate, 
uh, walking among the, these are seven foot tall sunflowers. Absolutely amazing. Um, he said it offers a photo opportunity. People love it. We have people come from all over. Last year, he created a trail in the shape of Scotland in the field. But this time he decided to go with a more natural random pattern. Um, he posts his videos to YouTube and I'll post the I'll post the links up on uh, to the good news story uh, in uh, in the chat if folks want to go out and read it. But it is just so cool to see this massive um, uh, this massive 13 acres of sunflowers that he's basically cut this kind of maze into where you walk the whole path. It takes about 30 to 60 minutes to walk the full trail, and there's also a kid-friendly version with games and more. Um, and the only thing that they can't do is they can't harvest the seeds because they don't have enough sunlight towards the end of summer to actually make them pollinate or germinate or whatever the official term is for sunflowers. But a quarter of a million sunflowers in this huge field in Scotland. What a fun, fun thing uh, to begin with. Also, you know, has anybody ever taken a look? You ever walked into a place that has a brand new carpet, right? And you get that smell, kind of that chemically smell out of a place with brand new carpet, uh, you know, or, or really brand new anything. If you walked into a new apartment that's been renovated or a house that's been renovated and you can smell that. Well, the uh, part of that is what they call volatile organic compounds. That's coming off of a lot of those items after they've been installed. People often recommend putting plants in an office to reduce that kind of indoor air uh, pollution, but you know, not everybody has a green thumb. Um, here's my here's my tip: if you don't necessarily have that green of thumb and you're worried about it, just buy a bunch of Porthos philodendrons. Those things are unkillable. Okay, those things are, and they grow like crazy. So again, that's just a side note, a side tip: just buy yourself some Porthos, some philodendrons, and. Uh, you know, they start when they start to go limp and they start to fall down. You need to water them and then water them and they'll perk right back up and keep going. It's amazing. But there's a new solution. Uh, a new solution has been created by scientists in South Korea. They have created a lampshade that works with both halogen and incandescent bulbs that actually cleans the air of pollutants. And they're working on the technology right now to extend it so it'll be compatible with LEDs. The principal uh, uh, investigator, Dr. Hyung Il Kim, says that the lampshades target VOCs, which account for most of the indoor air pollutants. Those compounds, by the way, include acetylatide, formaldehyde, and are released by paints, cleaners, air fresheners, plastic, furniture, cooking, carpets, and other sources. Uh, and they continue to radiate from their sources for weeks or months after their initial installation or use. He said, although the concentration of VOCs in a home or office is low, people spend more than 90% of their time indoors, so that exposure adds up after time. The conventional method to remove VOCs is to rely on active carbon or other types of filters, which have to be replaced periodically. Other devices uh, have been developed that break down VOCs with the help of thermal catalyst activated by high temperatures or with photocatalysts, which respond to light. So most of that need a separate heater or an ultraviolet light source. So his team wanted to make a simpler approach. 
So they w wanted something that would require only visible light spectrum sources and something that also produces heat. And so they created a lampshade coated with a thermocatalyst. Uh, he says the halogen light bulbs convert only 10% of the power they use to light, with the other 90% being transformed into heat and incandescence, just 5% to light and 95% to heat. So that's all wasted heat. So they decided to use it to activate the thermocatalyst to start basically filtering the air. Now, the problem is, is that the thermocatalyst is made of titanium oxide and a small amount of platinum. But they coated the inside of an aluminum lampshade with it and placed it over a 100-watt bulb in a test chamber. And it, uh, it activated the catalyst and started to decompose the different VOCs. Um, and uh, so it does a good job. So right now, the researchers are working on a thermocatalyst um, that is a little bit cheaper than platinum because... <laughs> platinum you got a lampshade i don't know it's like a 500 lampshade or something right you know but they're working on one that is a little cheaper to platinum and they're also developing photocatalysts that are stimulated by the near uv light emitted by leds because you leds um they present a larger spectrum than most incandescent or halogen lights so they're going to see if they can find a way to make that work as part of the uh uh, as part of this experiment to get the LED lights to change things out as well. So that's a, another little, po little positive. Always something good for change. Always something good for change. And the latest one and the final one real quick here is that uh, when you cross sawdust and polyphenols, what do you get? You get a water filter that removes 99.9% .9 of microplastics. Um, from the water, which uh, microplastics, we've been talking about this for a long time, the amount of plastics and debris and trash that's getting jumped in, dumped into the ocean, those microscopic particles of plastic are, um, you know, they're doing some damage. So researchers were looking for a better way to filter that out of the water, and they found a way to do it. They investigated the properties of wood and other plant material and the filter they designed, which they're calling BioCap, is made of sawdust composed of cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignin, but which in itself isn't a very good filter. However, um, putting additional uh, polyphenols, like tannic acid, uh, into the mix, they were able to filter out 99.9% .9 of all plastic microparticles out of the water. So... Uh, again, maybe there is a solution for the pollution that we're coming and seeing in those kind of things. So, again, another piece of good news. I'll post links to all these stories up in the chat room if folks want to go back and read all the details of it. It's, uh, it's good stuff. Some of it, yeah. I mean, what is a polyphenol? Well, it's a, it's a thing. It's like this. It's tannic acid. Was it say tannic acid? Is that what it was made up of? Polyphenols create strong molecular interactions with polymer particles. Tannic acid is what is, is one example of a polyphenol. So uh, anyway, there's good news, you know, a little bit of good news to brighten your day at the end of the day. All is not lost. I mean, we could look at it all and say, this is all bad all the time doing all the things, but no, it's going to be, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. And we're giving you the good news to keep you uh, to keep you rolling on it. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we're going to be talking uh, with State Senator 
Mike Shower. No, uh, we don't have a topic yet, but I'm sure that we'll be talking about Bert Stedman's interview and article in the uh, in the in the Sitka Public Radio uh, that we just discussed earlier with Brad. Uh, I mean, problems that were created by Bert now being exuded as a problem, right? Crises that you don't want to get go away. So I'm sure we'll talk about that with Mike. And uh, working on another guest for Hour One. Also on Friday, working on Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine for Firearms Friday. And more Thursday? I have no idea at this point. Maybe you guys could send me some suggestions for what you want to hear. I'm still working on a list of Alaskan authors. I want to bring more Alaskan authors on board to talk about some of this stuff. So maybe we could do that uh, as well. But send me an email, me at michaeldukeshow.com, if you'd like to uh, drop me a line and tell me what you think. Me at michaeldukeshow.com or just go to my website, michaeldukeshow.com, and you could click on the contact button there and send me a link. All right, my friends, we're out of time. Be kind, love one another, live well. We'll see you tomorrow, The Michael Duke Show. Okay, well, that about does it for today. Tried to end up on a little bit of a more positive note. And uh, hopefully we're gonna we're gonna do it. Yeah, Rick could do some you know Rick could do some big uh, sunflower. Do a big sunflower maze, Rick. Or maybe Ben or somebody down there could segregate a few acres for a sunflower. That'd be kind of fun. I mean, the pictures are amazing. Seven foot tall sunflowers. I'm all about that. I am all about that. All right, my friends. Well, we gotta go. We're gonna be back tomorrow. Have a good day. We'll see you later. Be kind.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 